L-A-S. Hey there. Welcome to Sick and Tired. Just remember, we're not here to give you medical advice. Although I am in the healthcare profession, I'm a licensed massage therapist, but with my scope of practice, I can't diagnose and I can't prescribe anything. We're just here to kind of give you some advice. We're just going to share some stories or topics that will help you feel that you are not alone out there. We're also going to be discussing some body parts. <gasps> yeah, so if you're not comfortable hearing about your own vagina or prostate... Oh, don't use those words. Well, this might not be the podcast for you. Well, I'm okay with those words. So I guess this is the podcast for us. Yay! I'm Logan Adam Schultz, digital and content marketing guy. I'm Alex Schulte, creative director dude. And I'm Craig Johnson, maker of graphics. And we're the LAS Marketing Team. And this is Friends with Marketing Benefits, Eastern Iowa's newest podcast filled with laughter, stories, and insight from a rotating cast of marketing professionals. Every Tuesday, join us as we break down modern marketing practices into something that you can use right now to better market your business, nonprofit, band, or even that dresser you've been trying to sell on Facebook Marketplace. There'll be new episodes every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Friends with Marketing Benefits is produced and distributed by the LAS Podcast Network in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more, visit LASPodcastNetwork.com. If you feel like it. LAS. Hello, everyone. I'm Amy with an A. And I'm Jenny with a Z. And welcome to Sick and Tired. A podcast for people who are sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Absolutely. And on today's episode of Sick and Tired, we're going to talk about sex, drugs, and the pelvic floor, part two. Yeah, this is Amy's story. Welcome to my story. Um, I think my journey with my pelvic floor dysfunction started back in 2016, in the summer of 2016. And actually, it started with endometriosis. So to back up from that, we're going to go shift back to the time warp here to August of 2016. I was on vacation. And on my vacation, I had to go to the emergency room someplace in Nebraska. I don't even know where it was at. Can't even tell you anymore. An emergency room in Nebraska with throbbing. Can't even imagine. First of all, you're on vacation in Nebraska. (laughs) And and then in an emergency room. And let's be clear, I was not vacationing in Nebraska. (laughs) Uh, We were headed to Colorado at the time. Um, But I had this throbbing, cramping pain on one side of my lower pelvic area. And I'd had that before, years before. And I knew that it had to be associated some some way with the reproductive system. Um, We get there. And I had a, I actually had an amazing emergency room doctor. He was he was wonderful, and um, you know you, you got to go through the whole. He has to stick his hands up there. It's a great feeling, let me tell you, uh, ladies. You probably know what I'm talking about. Um, and he did say, "I think we have a cyst on your one ovary." Okay, 
Great. Here that we go. the scariest words ever. Yes, absolutely. And for a woman, it is scary because you don't know. Right, right away, your brain jumps to, okay, if I don't get it removed, are we looking at ovarian cancer? Do I need to be tested? You, you all of a sudden think the worst, right? Mm-hmm. You don't think the best possible scenario of this. And you're on vacation at the same time. Um, so during the vacation, I was in pain almost every day. There were a few days where it did subside and I could function. By the time we get home, I'm ready to go to a gynecologist. And I found a gynecologist up here in Iowa City. Um, and she she discussed some things with me. Um, and she said, I think that what we have to do is do a laparoscopic procedure. Now, if you don't want don't know what a laparoscopic procedure is, it basically is a minimally invasive, they say minimally invasive, <laughs> surgery. And they basically cut tiny little three to four holes uh, somewhere in your abdomen, depending on what they plan to do inside of you. And they fill you with gas, and your, tummocks, your tummy swells up. And it's just a wonderful feeling. Now, what about that is minimally invasive? It uh, sounds terrible. It's, not, invasive. it's really not. You know, I, I really can honestly say... Um, <laughs> It's really not that minimally invasive because you still do have to have that recovery time and everybody's body is different. So keep that in mind as you're listening to this. So we get to October and that is the magic uh, month to go through this laparoscopic procedure. At the same time, I'm doing a, a play up here in Iowa City. Um, I'm in rehearsal for it. So I'm dealing with not only pain, but dealing with hey, by the way, I've got to have this surgery. And fortunately, it was in the beginning stages of rehearsal. And, and Well, and you're a mom. Yeah, and I'm a mom. Yeah. And the director was amazing about it. And she said, you've got to do what you need to do. Don't worry about this. We're in, in the beginning stages. And I said, look, I've been, I, I think this should be fine. I'll have my recovery time. And then I should be back on my feet. No problem. Right? Yeah. Right. In theory. In theory. So this was the beginning of my journey with my body and its betrayal, basically. Um, During the surgery, that is when they found the endometriosis. So to to define endometriosis for you, if you do not know what that is, it is basically a bunch of scar tissue that your body makes itself. Yeah, it's endometrial. um, The the endometrial lining is growing outside of where it's supposed to be. So it grows on the organs inside your body, and then it causes a lot of pain and other issues. Yes. Thank you for that beautiful definition, Jen. I've just been studying that recently, (laughs) too. That's why it's funny. Um, So my endo, and I'm going to call it endo for short, was found on, uh, it was invading several areas inside that whole, uh, it, it, endo can invade different organs of your body, not just your reproduct, reproductive organs, but it can invade other organs mm-hmm. of your body, just so we're clear on that. So it gives you a kind of an idea of how big of a problem this can be for women. And there is a strong majority of women that deal with endometriosis on a daily basis. And it is still being researched. And here we are in the 21st century, and we still don't have clear uh, defining answers on how it's created. Uh, the theory is that if you're estrogen dominant, that leads to it, but we still really don't know. Um, so that really disturbed me when I found that out. Why do, why do we not have a clear definition of why this is created in a woman's body? Um, so the procedure that I had was a unilateral ophorectomy. 
And what that means is one ovary was removed. So my ovary was so bad it had to be removed for my health. And I was thankful for that. The fallopian tubes were also taken. uh, So that way, the pathway for cancer of any cancer of any kind could not go any further. Now, I still have my cervix intact. Right. Okay. Um, I was told by the gynecologist that the endo would possibly return and may, I may have to return for more surgery to remove tissue over and over and over. In the back of my mind, I already knew I did not want to go through surgery after surgery after surgery to do that because I have a mother who we think now had endometriosis, although she had it very early in the, in the 1980s is when she had her complete hysterectomy where she had everything removed and she was full of scarring tissue, uh, worse than I was. And I knew from what her doctor told her that if she kept having surgery after surgery, all her body would do was produce more of that scar tissue, which would cause you to go in for another surgery, which would cause more scar tissue to be removed. Any kind of surgery on your body at all is, is a significant amount of trauma. So if you go through surgery after surgery on your pelvic floor like that, it's a significant amount of trauma, and that's mm-hmm. very important to learn later on in this discussion. So back to rehearsal I go after my recovery, right? I'm, I'm feeling okay. I've got some lifting restrictions. I'm still a little weak. I'm still a little lethargic, you know, but it's going to be fine, right? Well, several weeks later, I began to have anxiety out of nowhere, sleep disturbances, sometimes insomnia for days. I was fatigued. I was lethargic. Something just wasn't right. Now, you know when your body is telling you something. It sends you messages. It sends you very clear messages. And you and you alone know when something is not right. So this is where the fun begins, is communicating that to your doctor. (laughs) My gynecologist thought it was in my head. They always do that, I think. Absolutely, right? It's in your head. Couldn't possibly have hormonal fluctuations or disturbances after having only one removed because I still had an ovary. So I was put on an anti-anxiety pill, which would at least get me through this show. <laughs> I, it would help me sleep and get back to rehearsal and function. Why is that always the first place they go? Absolutely. If you have a problem, let's put you on anti-anxiety. Anti-anxiety yeah. or antidepressants. Because you're crazy, right? Yeah, because it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. I got through the show just fine, felt better, but something was still off. And I was not wanting to be uh, dependent on an anti-anxiety pill for the rest of my life because I knew that my body would just crave more and more and more and I would be down this path, this black hole of anxiety medications that I did not want to go on. And that's just for me personally. I know a lot of people who are on anti-anxiety medications and it works for them and that's great if it works for you. It just was not working for me. So December comes along the same year. I started researching hormones on my own. And... I knew somehow this had to be related to the surgery. So all this research I'm finding, and of course you have to be careful with, with what you research out there, you have to make sure that you're, you're looking at credible resources. Um, you know, so always double check what you are looking at. And you're always going to have doctors that will tell you, oh, don't read anything on the internet, don't talk to anyone else. <laughs> Look, everyone 
We're all smart people. Yeah. As long as it's a credible source. Yeah. I think you should. If it's a credible source, if it's coming from the Harvard Medical School. Yes. Right. I I think that's probably a little bit credible. Yeah. You have to trust your own instincts and you have to trust your own knowledge. Yeah. So go off of that. And it it does not hurt to ask questions of your doctors, no matter what they tell you, no matter if they mansplain you. Yeah. Be persistent. So I have a a supervisor who I was lucky enough to talk to about at the time because this was starting to affect my job. And she advised me to try this bioidentical hormone clinic that was literally downstairs from where I worked Mm -hmm. in our building. And I had passed by it time after time, and I thought, I wonder what this jazz is all about. What, what, what is this all about? Picked up a pamphlet, started reading about these bioidentical hormones. I wonder if this is the route to go. So I stopped in, and I discussed my symptoms. And that is when I started my bioidentical hormone yeah. journey. And we're going to call that BHRT, Bioidentical Hormone um, Replacement Therapy. therapy. So I I may, maybe you explain to them why bioidentical hormones are different than regular hormones? Or? Right. They are a little bit different. Synthetic hormones are just that. They're synthetic. They are not natural to your body. Mm-hmm. They come from horse's urine. Mm-hmm. I've had several. Yeah, that's right. Alex is giving me the what? <laughs> yeah, the yes. what face? Yeah, I'm here. Just, I'm just producing the show and listening. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Alex. That's really... <laughs> Everything you said to me was fine until horse urine, I guess. That's yes. that's the trigger that, for me. Yeah, we just your, found yeah, out. That's your, that's your heart. <laughs> it, wouldn't that be a, yeah, yeah. We, we had the first gynecologist that we sat down with, and, and, and I will disclose that my husband went with me at, the, at one of these appointments when she tried to tell me that uh, I shouldn't do the bioidentical therapy. I should do the synthetic kind. Now, the synthetic kind, sometimes it, you'll read where it is related to many cancers, which... Yeah, like breast cancer yeah. and things like that. Yeah, um, Hormone therapy in general, no matter which one you try, I think you're always going to have to be aware of mm-hmm. that. And you're just going to have to know what's going on in your body. And you're just going to have to continue uh, to double check. The and check. the caveat with this that's I'm just going to put put this in there. Um, you would, Luckily, you have the means and the ability to to look at doing something like this, I know the bio, some of those places are very expensive. Yes. And so it's not available to all women. And that's, yes, that's very sad that that's how our healthcare system is that it's not available to all, because all women are going to have probably needing this yes. and then, and, and they don't have access to this. And that's, that's, that's sad. And it, it, it's very sad, Jenny. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I could barely afford this, mm-hmm. but my husband and I discussed it, and he was very adamant about it. And he said, if this is going to help you, I want us to be able to support that. We, mm-hmm. we need to get you back on track. And it's true. It's not covered by health insurance most of the time. And most of the people that run these clinics will tell you how upset they are by that fact. They want it to be covered by health insurance. Or available to everyone. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, available to everyone at a, you know, a small cost. Because how sad you had to make that decision, like, is my health... As important mm-hmm. as our, you know, that we have to make this decision. Yeah. And do we have to make adjustments to our financial yeah. books? You know, I mean, but it, it's what I did. I, I, I started on it and I felt a difference within a week. 
I did have to wean off the anxiety med, which was absolute hell. And if you know what that's like, you know what I'm talking about. You go through the same symptoms you had before you were put on that particular medication. So you go through anxiety again and you go through sleep disturbances again. But once you get through that, you get through it. And I found other supplements that I could use to get me through that process so that I could start going on this particular journey. And literally within a week, I'm not kidding, it was a night and day difference. So I was confident that this is probably what my life is going to be like now. I'm going to have to depend on this. Um, Tests did reveal that I was estrogen dominant, which we think is a probable cause of my endo. But as I said, those things are still being researched out there Mm -hmm. from medical professionals. Summer of 2017 comes along, and I start having heavy bleeding and irregular menstruation out of nowhere. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a fun time. But the pain is different this time, different pain. So I go back to this same gynecologist. And it is believed that I have cysts or fibroids in my uterus, and those need to be tested. So, again, we have this whole jump to cancer scare, right? Oh, my gosh. This is a woman's life. You know, yeah. it, it, when it comes to our reproductive system, we're, we're fed all of this information about cancer, but it seems like we're not fed enough information about our bodies and what they specifically do and how they operate, and we're not fed enough information on treatments or uh, you know, supplements or what else can we do to support yeah. your pain? But it's always cancer, cancer, cancer. Well, yeah, because like I'm not going to say the name of this site that I used to always go on, but when you would put your symptoms in there, it's a very common one. Right. Um, I won't say it because I don't want any lawsuits, but I would always be like, I either have cancer or an STD right. every single time because <laughs> it's like, it be like it's a no-win situation. And, and, and plug, I don't have either cancer or an STD. I just want you to know that. But that's what it would always be like because you'd be like, who doesn't have weird discharge or who isn't itchy? Right. You'd be like, okay, it's either cancer or an STD all the time. So you go down this path yeah. of panicking, which does not help your symptoms. Um, so, you know, let's throw stress in there. Uh So a decision is made for me to do a dilation and cuterage, or a DNC for short. And basically, that's not the Democratic National Convention. It is not the Democratic National Convention. I tried to tell somebody one time that I was getting a DNC, and they're like, "You're going to the Democratic (laughs) National Convention? No." Uh, if if only I was yeah. going to something like that instead of having to put my feet in the air and yeah. you know, uh, but basically this is where uh, you're put under, and there is a tool that goes inside your uterus and basically um, takes scrapes the lining out of your uterus and takes those cysts and those fibroids out and those fibroids or cysts are tested. And um, it's definitely not as invasive as a laparoscopic procedure. My recovery time was pretty much a week, if that. Um, So just just for also disclosure, for people that um, are anti-abortion, they don't realize that if you got rid of all those procedures, a DNC is technically um, considered um, an abortion procedure, but it's not necessarily used for that because it's used for cleaning out 
anything from um, the uter- uterus um, because it basically vacuums anything mm-hmm. that's supposed mm-hmm. to be that's not supposed to be in there. So um, even if you've had like uh, a miscarriage, they will use a DNC to clean that out. So um, so that's my argument to them. It's like you would also get rid of this procedure, which is not necessarily an abortion procedure, but they but most people aren't aware of that. So I'm just right. going to put that caveat out there. Well, and thank you for mentioning that. You know, because that's something that. I would not think of. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, obviously not in the forefront of my mind when I when I think mm-hmm. of the DNC. So thank you for that information. Uh, so I my cysts were benign, which means it was non-cancerous and that the tissue was removed. So October 2017 comes along. So we have this sort of uh, process here where I'm going every so many months. Something keeps happening. Something yeah. keeps happening. So October 2017. And this is where the fun with Did you the, get a punch card for your frequent? You know, I should have. <laughs> I really should have. I should have gotten a free sub by the yeah, end of it. Yeah, you should have gotten a... Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a trip to Cancun. Oh, that would be better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But this is where the fun began with the medical community. And, and just to disclose to you, I'm not... This is no offense to the medical community at all, because I have the, the utmost respect for anyone in the medical community. It takes a certain person to be of that community, and, and I am not of that community. Um, I have a grandmother who was a nurse, uh, but that's where it stops. Mm-hmm. But and, and part of the, the point of our podcast, too, is to bring up these types of issues that we as patients come across mm-hmm. with the medical community. Yeah. It's not everybody, but it's a chosen few. Um, it would be no different than a, a, a chosen few of anybody in any profession. Mm-hmm. So this is no different. So we have this weekend getaway, mini weekend getaway. It's supposed to be fun. So I start experiencing irregular menstruation again. By this time, the pain was extremely low central pelvic area and it was nauseating and it was throbbing it was unlike any pain i had ever experienced so now i'm definitely starting to think okay i'm done with this Mm -hmm. i'm ready to just be done and have everything taken out because that's where a woman gets yeah we get there so i returned to this same gynecologist and my husband is now frustrated for me that this is happening again. And so we both discuss with the doctor the possibility of a complete hysterectomy to remove everything. Yeah. And you're how old at this time? At this time, I was, let's see, I was probably 40. Well, I was 42. Okay. Yeah, it would have been 42 at the time. So young. Yeah. Young enough. My mother was 38 when she had her hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And so I had made it that far. So I was in pain every single day. And I was just wanting it to be done and get it out. I also had to go through these tests for cancer again, which was frightening. And I didn't want the prospect of ovarian cancer looming over me every single night. I mean, who would? Yeah. So I knew the pros and cons of a hysterectomy. Like I said, my mother had the same procedure but she was in so much pain, and she was full of endo tissue inside. It was literally invading her other organs, even her bowels. Uh-huh. Who wants that? <laughs> not me. Not me. This gynecologist did not want me to have a hysterectomy. Told me that removing my final ovary would push me into menopause overnight and would change me forever. Well, no kidding. 
Yeah. Of course it would. Yeah. But the option was keep it and risk my health or lose it and have to deal with trade-offs forever. Yeah. She wanted to do another laparoscopic procedure to go in there and clear the tissue and find out what was going on. And I said, no. If we're going to go in again, that is it. Otherwise, I will create even more scar tissue than I did before because endo is literally scar tissue. Keep in mind that this is the research that I had done before walking into the office and nodding my head yes. My response to her was this. My body, my decision, case closed. She did not want to do it. She had an attitude about it, which, which I love. An attitude about a patient who's actually proactive about her health, very healthy, who's proactive about making decisions about her body, and you're taking an attitude with me. And I responded to her and said, fine with me. I can find five other doctors right behind you who would be willing to do this and respect and listen to what I have to say. And we left. Yeah, but... Was this the one that told you that you wouldn't be? No, oh, okay. I'm getting this is to a that. Different one. Oh my gosh! Oh okay. yes, you have. <laughs> you've had the luck. So much luck. So the next month followed with another visit to another gynecologist. This one had her own practice, and I thought, you know, great. Yeah. Uh, maybe this is going to be, you know. Uh, more specific and maybe this person will be willing to sit down with me for longer and discuss the options and and I was really looking forward to it again one one that huge expectation mm-hmm. and I told her what was happening what I wanted to have done what the possibilities were and what her opinion was she immediately became almost angry and proceeded to tell me that I would be less of a woman because if I had this procedure. Oh, because you're having this procedure. Yeah. That's Less a good person of in healthcare. a woman. Let that sink in. Hmm. Less of a woman. Which is crazy because, you know, like the Hippocratic Oath is, you know, you're, the, you're supposed to be helping. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, helping. But you're actually telling a female patient who is in an incredible amount of pain every single day of her life when she wakes up and when she goes to bed. That if she decides that she wants to have everything removed because she's scared and she's in pain, that she will be less of a woman? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I was mortified. I was angry. I had all sorts of emotions going on in my head. So I responded to her. And she did not like when I, when I said to her, I can't remember a lot of what I said to her, which is not important. She didn't like what I said. She did not like but the fact that I... basically you stood up for yourself. I did. Is what stand, is, yeah. Is, is and, the, and, and, is the short version of that. Yeah. yeah the sh- exactly. The short version is I stood up for myself. Yeah. The fact that I questioned her statement. She was offended by it. She became hostile. Started yelling. Yelling at me in her office. A doctor. Yeah. Yelling at yeah. me. Because they're supposed to be like... The people you're looking to for answers. I'm looking to, to you be, for comfort. They're supposed to be like taking care of yeah. you. They're supposed to be like caretakers, right? And that would be shocking. And and you're going to her at a time when you're in pain. Yeah. You're, you're, you're I, vulnerable. I'm looking to you for you're comfort. You're emotional, you know. I'm looking to you for answers. Answer, I'm looking yeah. for you as a doctor to talk me down mm-hmm. and to tell me that everything is going to be okay, especially yeah. where a woman's body is concerned. Yeah. It's very, very scary. And I think a lot of men don't quite understand, you know, when they see their partners or their spouses go through this, they can see the pain, they can mm-hmm. see the frustration, they can see the anguish, but unless you actually go through it, you have no conception yeah. of what's going through her mind. Well, and I think what would have triggered me with that statement, that I would be less of a woman, is that that thought has already gone through your mind. 
when you're before you've made this decision that you need to have this done, mm-hmm. that you're like, am I going to be less of a woman? Because it's mm-hmm. like the part of you that you think of as your sexuality, yeah. uh, your ability to be a woman. And then all of a sudden that's what she's accusing you of. And that I, I that I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so she became very sarcastic, which is even better to become sarcastic with me at this moment. You're, you're really scoring points. And she said, look, I'll cut you open if you want me to, if that's what you want. She was very flippant. And I said, nope. No, I would not go to do not people. The listeners do not nope. think you have to settle for any of that. I told her you will not cut me open today or tomorrow or the next day because the person who cuts me open will have respect and empathy for my body and uh-huh. will respect my choices for it. You do not get that privilege. Oh. I walked out. I told the receptionist to not even think about sending me the bill because it will be sent back. Yeah, good for you. I'm Done. glad you were able to do that and advocate for yourself. That's the if anybody gets anything out of this podcast, that's like the one thing we want you to get Absolutely. is that you You have that be, right. You need to be your own advocate. You have that yeah. right. And don't ever let anybody tell you that you don't. Um I left that place feeling as helpless as I did when I walked in. And that's when the tears started to come. I'm I'm a pretty resilient person. Um I pulled into this parking lot of this park, and I just let it all go emotionally. And then I got mad because I'm like, you know, I mean, th- this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I call a nurse friend of mine that I went, with, went to college with, and she uh, is in the Cedar Falls, Waterloo area. Which is not where you live. It's not where I live, no. It's about an hour and a half from where I live. Not, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I called her and I told her what happened. And she had known about my journey because her partner had gone through the same journey. And she said, okay, that's it. I need you to call this doctor. Like I said, you, you needed to call this doctor a month ago. You need to call him now. He is amazing. He has done amazing work. And he's known all over the country for his uh, specific work with hysterectomies, with endometriosis. He's just an amazing man. And I was convinced, and and I I was desperate. And I said, all right, you know, fine. Give me his number. I don't care how far I have to go at this point. I want the best of the best because this is going to change my life. Ladies, this is a surgery that changes your life. Yeah. It doesn't make you less of a woman, but it does change your life for sure. I sounded like Al Pacino there for a second, but let me just rephrase. (laughs) It changes your life. It changes your life. It it changes your hormones. It it changes your your sometimes your body physically, but I'm not that much. Okay, and, and I'm don't let that scare you because I have plenty of people that scared me about mm-hmm. this surgery that I'd be coming out like Quasimodo. Well, I did not come out like Quasimodo. Okay, just so we're clear. Um, She's very pretty, not like Quasimodo at all. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with Quasimodo. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with Quasimodo, no. Um, Bless his little heart. But the fact of the matter is, this is a life-changing operation. So you need to keep that in mind if you want to pursue it, if you have a doctor that wants to pursue it. Ask questions diligently. Any questions that come into your brain, write it down. Give your doctor a call. And they should listen to you, and they should respect that, and they should answer that. So I call this man's office, and I literally get in two days later. Not two weeks, two days. 
so I was already flying wow. high. Wow, I'm God. impressed by that, actually. Right, yeah, <laughs> it's very impressive. Um, and as busy as he was, yeah. uh, very impressive. I That should be the norm. The <laughs> Can I say that should be the norm? <laughs> yes, that yeah. should be the norm. I flew all the way to uh, Waterloo, which is, he practices out of, uh, out of both towns, um, or did practice out of both towns. And this time I saw him at the hospital in Waterloo. I sit down, and I'm already con- uh, just transfixed by this nurse. She's calm. She's quiet. She's concerning. She's empathetic. And she asks me what's going on like they always do, and then I start to tell her. And I had so much to say. I had so much that was going on. I was starting to get into a little bit more detail than I should have. And she stopped me, and she said, you know what? You don't need to tell me that, but you need to tell him that. And trust me. He's great. You're just going to love him. And I was just blown away. He walks into the room. The, he was this quiet, unassuming Lebanese man. And I had to bend over to listen to him talk. He was so quiet. And I told him everything. I told him what the last gynecologist told me about being less of a woman, and I was crying at the same time. At that point, the well was opened, and I was emotional. And I said, is this going to, you know, ruin my life? Is it going to make me less of a woman or less of a person? And he took my hands, and he said, that is the most ignorant thing that any doctor could ever tell a woman. And he said, I'm actually quite angry that you were told that. By another woman, too. By another woman. I want to stress that, okay? Ladies, I want you to take everything about women's lib out of the equation, all of that. And I want you to think, when it comes down to just being a human being, I had two women tell me I should not have the surgery. One of them tells me I I will be less of a woman. I go see a man, and it's the complete opposite. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm Mm-hmm. The difference is that this was a doctor that was being a human being. And I don't care if it was a man. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it was a unicorn. Well, that would have been cool, actually. <laughs> it would have been very cool. But no person should ever tell a patient something like I was told. Oh, yeah, for sure. So he tells me, if you want to do this, I will do it. I will tell you the pros and cons, but I will leave it ultimately up to you it's your body it's your decision and that's how it should be that they yes. give you th- yeah i understand them telling you the, the possible outcomes that might not be the greatest but they're ultimately just informing you like these are the pros these are the cons but they're not saying like don't do this because you're going to be less of a woman they're just it, like if they had approached it more like okay if you th- do this it might throw your hormones mm-hmm. into a different thing mm-hmm. you might find out that now you have to do different things with your lifestyle. That's different than like being, well, you're going to be less of a person. Yeah. 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 He also told me, as far as being less of a woman is concerned, you will not be less of a woman. You will be more of a woman. Here, here. Because you will not be in pain every single day of your life. You will not have to worry about cancer screenings. Uh-huh. You can do, resume your activities. Yeah. You can go through all of that. You can even follow up with any kind of hormone therapy that yeah. you want. Because you could be 
a mom. You can have your career. You, you can, can have your take life care back. of your child. You can be there, be present with your husband. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was that visit and that was that journey with this man. And I am forever grateful that something pulled me in his direction. Um he has since moved out of the state, unfortunately. Of and, course and, he has. And I'm sad about that because I can't refer any woman to him any longer unless you want to travel to California. Um, but literally because of this man, when I went for a follow-up with my regular physician, family practice physician, after my follow-up with, with, with him, she was looking at my notes that he had given to her. Uh, regarding the surgery, and he said, she said, this is the most beautiful hysterectomy I've ever seen in my life. You're not going to have any scar tissue from this Wow. He was that precise. Wow. And unfortunately, he did have to take the other ovary, and he did say at the time, if your ovary is healthy, I will keep it, if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. If it's not healthy, I have to take it. And I said, then take it. Yeah. It was not healthy. It looked like a spider's. Oh uh, yeah, spider's so it egg. had so much tissue yeah. inside and out. Was growing tissue, and yeah. I had tissue growing on my uvula. Uh, no, no uh, down in my my bladder area, uh, urethra. Excuse me, my yeah. uvula. Uh, yes. In my urethra. Let's let's define that again. In my urethra area of of the bladder. We're kind of in healthcare, but we <laughs> kind of. Um, <laughs> Hey, you're going to have that. Yeah. Um, but, okay. and it was growing, it was starting to grow outside of the reproductive system. Mm. So, um, not good. Not very good at all. So it was perfect timing. So I was 42 when that happened. And that was in February of 2018 that I had that procedure done. And I thought that it was done, you know, uh, that, that's it, you know, you're it's, fixed. it's not done. I mean, you are fixed physically, yeah. but then you go through the whole menopause thing because you're pushed into it. That's a fun journey. I went back on the, on the bioidenticals, uh, two and a half months later, I was cleared to go back on it. Um, the physical journey. Yeah, it was a pain, but I got through it. I did what I was supposed to do. I did what was right for my body. And by the summer of 2018, I was great, feeling great, looking great. I was myself again, and I was getting ready to move up to the corridor area with our son. Uh, We were wanting to move out of the area that we were in and move more to this area. And so I was ready. And uh, my son and I move. Uh, My husband is still trying to sell the, the house 50 miles away. And that's when... The pelvic floor dysfunction started. I didn't know that's what it was, but that's what happened. And uh, the pelvic floor pain. And it felt like the endometriosis pain. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. It can't possibly grow back. And I thought that's what it was. Mm-hmm. I went to a doctor. Doctor thought I had interstitial cystitis of the bladder. They always think that. Absolutely. <laughs> they do. That is the common uh, diagnosis that you will get because it's the one that they know. I was going to be put on a medication for the rest of my life. I was looking at interstitial cystitis going, oh, this sounds horrible. Yeah. Things can inflame it. Yeah. There's women who've had their bladders removed. Yeah. Because I think I talked about that in my, yes, in my podcast. Yes. About that, yeah. 
Turns out, that's when I touched base with Jenny here. Yeah. Jenny and I have been doing a uh, play reading yeah. prior to all of this, yeah, back in, I think, 2017. You know, this is in the before times before. Before, before the times before. I don't remember. Uh, I, th- I want to say it was 2017. But that sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. And then we, we had connected again through, through Facebook. Mutual, through mutual friends. Yeah, through yeah, mutual yeah. friends. She had seen my journey on Facebook, and she had seen what I had just posted about that. I believe you had seen that. And yeah. then I remember you co- uh, reaching out to me through Yeah, I messaged you, and I was like, messenger. I think, I said, I, I don't say that this is exactly what it is, but I said it sounds very similar, and try and see if you can mm-hmm. find out if this mm-hmm. is what it is, because then it will save you all this other yeah. BS that you have to go yeah. through. <laughs> so I did not take the medication. In fact, I never took it once. And I'm glad you didn't. And I followed through with her advice because I feel like if other women are going through the same thing, maybe they're on to something. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's always a good idea to listen to other people's journeys because you never know if your journey is going to be about the same. Yeah. So I trusted what she was telling me. I got with a urologist through Mercy Care. And she was amazing. Huh? Absolutely amazing. And... When you, when you have to get tested for pelvic floor dysfunction or anything in, in regards to that area, they do have to do a little, little fun search inside of you. And she told me at the time, I'm going to do They're all up two in your things. business is what she They're all up in your saying. business. They're all up in your business. They told me, uh, or she told me, I'm going to do two things. The first test I'm going to do when I'm in there, basically, is I'm going to be on the left side of your pelvic floor. And she said, do you know you have muscles inside your, your pelvic floor? And I said, well, I kind of did, but I kind of didn't. <laughs> most of us don't even know we have a we, pelvic floor. The, so. <laughs> most of us don't know what's going on in there because we're not told. You know, when does that conversation happen as a girl? Never. Or or a boy. Do you or know you have a pelvic floor? Yeah. Hello. Men. Are, are you looking at me? Yes, yes uh, Alex. I, this is the first I've ever heard of it. Uh, you you, you are the first to bring this to my attention. You yeah, have you a pelvic, pelvic floor, floor, and this does I know happen n- in men. It's the size of like a basketball. That's what? a big. Yeah. yeah. It's a, like an NBA size basketball yes. or yes, like a little it's, league it's, basket? It, it, yes. It's what holds your pelvic, your pelvic area together. So wow. when mm-hmm. I had the hysterectomy, as it was explained to me, when you have those organs taken out, including the uterus, and I had everything, uterus, cervix, everything taken out. You no longer have that support system. Mm-hmm. So your pelvic floor muscles are going to do one of two things. They're either going to tighten up or they're going to weaken. Yep. I get to this urologist. She explains all this to me, and mm-hmm. I had already had it explained to me by the gynecologist, but somehow I had forgotten everything. And I think you were kind of busy with other stuff. At was, that time. It's not yeah. like you're, you're, you're able to like, oh, I can listen to everything you're telling me. You're dealing with being in pain. Uh, you know, being weak, you know, so you're not, they may be brushed over that really quickly. Yeah. So you're not going to be like, oh, I took all these really good notes. No. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, so I'm going to start on the left side and then I'm going to touch your bladder basically. Mm-hmm. And you're going to respond and your response, I'm going to base on what's going on. And she, of course, she got up in the tunnel and the first time she hit something, I went, oh. Yeah. It, like, it was, I mean, that was it. That was the pain. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, 
going to move on to the center, which is your bladder, and I'm going to touch your bladder. And I gave out this little squeal, like, ooh. You're like, <laughs> she, said, she said, is that a, ooh, I got to pee, or an ooh, that, that feels bad. And I said, oh, I got to pee. Yeah. And she goes, okay, that's it, we're done. And she said, good news. You don't have interstitial cystitis of the bladder. You never had it. What you have is pelvic floor dysfunction. Yay. And your muscles are tightening, not weakening. Have yeah. you been doing Kegels? And I said, yeah, I was. And she said, don't do them. Yep. You're going to make it worse. Isn't that weird? Because we've been told all Crazy. our lives to do Kegels. People keep telling me to do Kegels. Are you doing them right now? I'm, I'm not. Okay, good. <laughs> well, don't. I, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I have to say, tell you, how, how many times have we heard that? Uh, do your kegels yeah do your kegels because that was my thing mine was mine were tighter and mine I'm gonna blame my mom here that she'd always be like suck your belly in mm-hmm. and sit up mm-hmm. straight so then because of that I have a really tight pelvic floor yeah 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 so I was just I mean I was relieved first of all uh, and and then I started thinking oh my gosh what does this mean and I asked her that and and I said oh this sounds dreadful and she goes that's, that's not dreadful mm-hmm. it's fixable you may deal with it for the rest of your life, but it is fixable. We just send you to a physical therapist. Yeah. And uh, she had sent me to someone in Iowa City, which which is, they, she was good. But I had learned from Jenny uh, that Jenny Herting. Yeah, I love it. Uh, was the best person to go to. She in, is fantastic. In the Cedar Rapids area. Yeah. And uh, so I made an appointment with her as well. And I was just absolutely blown away by her. Within, I would say, three months, um, when she cleared me, basically, and said, things are improving, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think you've got the right idea. Yeah. Um, She showed me uh, different stretches to do, encouraged me to do particular stretches in yoga that would stretch that out and pull it out and relax it, and breathing exercises. Yeah, and that's what's amazing is that the breathing, because the breathing... Directly, directly influences, influences that area. Your pelvic. Yes, you're looking at us doubtfully. We're not crazy really here. Does. Yoga crazy and breathing. Here. Yes, breathing. Because like, if you do this, she was kind of explaining that when you make your lips look like a straw, so you're like, like this, right? That it just directly goes to your pelvis, mm-hmm. and your and your pelvis like responds mm-hmm. when you're like breathing in and then breathing out. It literally does relax the pelvis and. If you're somebody that doesn't like, that you like research and, and seeing things, she has like machines that do test that. Yeah. And you can watch this thing like literally go up and down as you are doing that. And you're like, wow. Because, yeah, didn't, because you didn't can't know ne- that. Because you For can't real. necessarily feel if yeah. you're like loosening or tightening down there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's amazing. It's like, all connected. It's, it's all connected. connected. And we did it without medications, mm-hmm. we did it therapeutically. We did it through a physiotherapist. We found things that worked for us individually. Um, some things that work for Jenny may not work for me. Oh, yeah. Some yeah. things that work for me may not work for Jenny. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would say, like I said in the last podcast in part one, that 80% of my pain was diminished when I started doing all of these stretches on a regular basis and all mm-hmm. of these breathing exercises. And I would take um, baths, hot baths, religiously. Big one, just taking a hot bath, Mm -hmm. going for a walk. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, I resumed all of that. Mm -hmm. And then one morning I woke up and I had no pain. Isn't that weird when that happens? Yeah, such a long time. Because you're so used to being in that pain cycle. And then all of a sudden, 
when you don't have it, it feels weird. And then mm-hmm. you're like, you don't trust it because you're like, how long is this going to happen until the yeah. other shoe drops? Right. I had maybe one flare up during that time, but I knew how to treat it. And it was gone within 48 mm-hmm. hours. Ever since that one flare up, I really have had no problems at all. Mm-hmm. I've been symptom free mm-hmm. for a couple of years now. So, Oh, wow. That's yeah, really good. I, I really yeah. don't have... An issue. Are you so, still maintaining that schedule of uh, uh, doing those stretches and, and doing I do. that stuff even yes, two years I, later? I still do yoga. Um, with my current health issue that I'm dealing with now, which we'll get to we'll that get in another that. podcast. Yeah, that's another yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, I've, I have to really watch it uh, because yeah. um, I'm really not in a position to burn a lot of calories even yeah. with yoga. So I still try to do the same stretches from time to time. I don't do it as, I don't need to do it as often. Um, but I still maintain that yoga regime basically because it does work for me. It does make me feel better emotionally, physically Mm -hmm. all around as a whole person. Um, I don't, I don't take as many yeah. hot baths as I'd like to, but... Uh, well, right now, nobody <laughs> wants to. It's really hot out. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's my journey. And the, the takeaway that I got from all of that was I was really tired of the journey label. I thought, you know, what? I, I'm tired of the journey label because it's it's been so much more than a journey. It becomes a test of resiliency. It becomes a test of courage and empowerment. Yeah. Empowerment is a word that's thrown out so many times now, and it's great. It's it, it's wonderful that we should all be empowered to do different things and say different things. But really, it does come down to that. I was empowering myself to be courageous, to go to health professionals and say, I need you to think out of the box for me because I'm not like the five other patients that came in to see you today. I'm yeah. actually a different percentage. Think about that. Yeah. Think about that, please. And please think about that for me the next time I come to see you. Yeah. I came out with a different version of me. I found out what I could endure. Even with limitations, I could still be strong. I could still be resilient. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I went through a grieving process of the person I was, the body that I had. Yeah. Um, But I'm still a woman. Yeah. And I'm still me. For sure. And I'm still kicking. Yeah, you are. And I think that sounds like a good way to end today's podcast. So you are? I'm Amy with an A. And I'm Jenny with a Z. And this is Sick and Tired, the podcast for people who are sick and tired of feeling sick Sick and and tired. tired. This show comes out weekly every Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want to support this independent podcast network, just subscribe at patreon.com slash LAS Podcast Network. And we will see you next Tuesday. Bye now.